It's at this point in a retreat, in the middle of a retreat, I'd say almost every retreat, it's true for this one, I start to feel after talking with people, I get really uh, kind of touched just by how much everybody's going through. <laughs> I mean, it's just life. It's just a microcosm of life. But, uh, and all the moods and emotions and fears and beautiful stuff. And then a lot of it just coming and going with awareness. And that's fine. <laughs> you go, yeah, right, it's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but how often, you know, we get as a... Mark was talking last night, so that tipping point, we get really caught up in the struggle and just a huge thing, and then it calms down so much. And we sit here and tell you, just be aware of it all. Just be with it. Everything that's coming, you're caught up, is like this. You're not caught up, great. Just be with it all, with sati. And that's the whole point, mindfulness. You can, there's times when that, and people say this, it seems just so real and true, and there's no question, right? And there's other times you're like, what? Heck, are they talking about? And what good is any of this doing? Or am I the only one? <laughs> so what, what's the point? So I just want to talk a little bit about the, some aspects of this. Nyoshal Ken Rinpoche, who was a, a wonderful uh, Dzogchen master, died a few, some years ago, said the main purpose of these Dharma teachings, I said this Dharma practice, is to find out what is the nature of the non-deluded mind, the non-deluded heart, as well as how the deluded mind works. So, we're spending a lot of time on both. But how the deluded mind works is an essential aspect. Learning about that, that's really one of the main things that frees us to recognize the non-deluded mind. Nyoshal Ken goes on. Meditation practices work to uncover our innate wisdom, purity, by recognizing the obscurations for the changing, insubstantial appearances that they are, thus revealing what has always been available. Okay, no one said that the time spent on each of those is equal. There's probably a lot more time on uh, exploring and coming to recognize the way the deluded mind works. But that's okay. It doesn't take as many equal moments of recognizing natural awareness, purity. Did you notice that? You're all caught up for like however long. It feels like forever. Maybe it was five minutes. But suddenly awareness comes in. You go, oh, it's like that. And the whole thing passes and that you don't have to have that fantastic feeling for the equal five minutes. That one second just clears it all. Because awareness is pure no matter what was going on. You're saying, yeah, right, that's not my experience. <laughs> Look for it, you'll see. So I want to talk about one way the confused mind works that is really interesting that the Buddha spoke about just to help us see when we get all caught up it's not like just random, you know. You just feel like you're minding your own business and being mindful and suddenly, whomp, out of nowhere. Not just that a mood comes, that's fine, mood, but we're really caught in it. Yesterday the same mood came, you weren't caught. Just, we can feel like a victim, but it's not just happening randomly. And once we get more interested in watching the process with awareness, I mean, it really gets interesting. 
we can see the lawful nature of how these things work. And it really, that's where the wisdom comes in and we don't always go down the same path. I noticed I wrote this last time I gave this talk. I, I had just had this recognition in my own practice, noticing how when I first started practice, very reasonably, I think quite many people would, really what I wanted was to get away from the confused and unpleasant and difficult aspects of my personality. You know, we've been waiting for those to change into like the bodhisattva of the ages. And really thinking that would all change, right? You'll become the most loving, compassionate person on the planet, waiting for that. And, And all the difficult stuff of my life. That's why I started probably practicing. Not quite that bluntly saying it, you know. But I couldn't have imagined from that place, most people couldn't, that from there, that the peace, the freedom, moments, <laughs> not all the time, okay, but that, that the peace, the freedom that's available, that arises, it comes in a totally different way. It's not from getting rid of all that stuff, but it's actually from this purity of awareness of being with what's arising totally without being lost in resistance and wanting, being with what's happening, surrendering into it. The wisdom comes from the total presence, not from getting rid of the stuff we don't like. Can't imagine that. You can't imagine that. That's why we hear saying, oh, great, you're feeling sadness? Feel it with awareness, or just kind of like push you into it because the Dharma reveals itself. You don't have to figure it out ahead of time. It will show you if we just keep learning how to bring full awareness, full tenderness, full presence to whatever it is that's arising. We start to see it clearly. We can't not. Ajahn Sumedho often says, the practice of freedom is awareness. Or I put it differently, awareness is the practice of freedom. We don't always notice it because it's just little easeful moments, not a big thing. So one of the wonderful aspects of steady sati, steady mindfulness, steady awareness, is that we do begin to see, to recognize some of how this process of getting all caught up and identified occurs in a moment. I say what Mark was mentioning last night about a tipping point where maybe some difficult memory or mood or experience comes up and there's awareness. So you see it's difficult. That's okay. Difficult's like this. There's some thoughts. Awareness is noticing the thoughts. It's a little, you know, but it's, it's awareness. It's not a really suffering. But at some point, there's that tipping point, right? Where suddenly it's like, wow, now we're really in it and this is really not okay. You know, and what can I do to get out of it? And we're back into all the old patterns. What we forget is the intrinsic purity of awareness. Ajahn Chah, you've probably heard this, it's very well known. About this mind, within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind, the heart, remembers the same, same word, the mind-heart is not peaceful these days, is because it follows moods. The real mind is simply an aspect of nature. It becomes happy or agitated because moods deceive it. 
Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of those things. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. And then we think it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. Like a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering is due to those sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we will be unmoved. That's really what I want to talk about tonight. Our practice is simply to see the original mind So we train the mind to know those sense impressions and not get lost in them. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. From Ajahn Chah. So one of, one way of describing our moment to moment experience or what can happen, how we get lost in sense impressions to use Ajahn Chah's language. Uh, I want to talk about two aspects of experience in the mind that the Buddha spoke of that are arising in every moment of sense contact. And they're subtle, they're arising every moment. So sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't, but really seeing how they can unrecognized lead us into all this morass of whatever's going on just by not recognizing what's happening. So these two aspects, um, they're two of the five aggregates, things that are arising according to the Buddha's way of looking at our experience in every moment. One of them is um, perception in English, sanya in Pali. The other is vedana in Pali, which is feeling tone. So just describe them and then talk a bit more than a bit probably about each of them. So sanya, perception, is that simple quality of recognition. And I'll talk about it a bit. And this is just happens naturally. You hear a sound and immediately the mind, first it knows it's a sound. And then if it knows what it is, oh, bird call. Or if it doesn't know what it is, it makes something up. And that's what I'll get into in a minute. But perception, this recognition, this is just natural. It's happening all the time. We're not trying to stop that. It's not thinking about it. It's just, oh, that's a robin. This is a chair kind of thing. Um, And then Vedana, this feeling tone, which we've mentioned, I think, is also arising in every moment of sense contact. And it's this, the, the feeling, subtle feeling in the mind of experiencing each sense contact as having a a pleasant or an unpleasant or a neither pleasant or unpleasant neutral flavor. This is a subtle thing. I've always been really amazed that the Buddha could pick this out because as, as you see when I talk, it goes so quickly into wanting and aversion that we don't even notice this subtle, quick Vedana feeling tone, but it's arising with every sense contact. Now, they're both coming together. You can't really, sometimes you'll notice one more or the other more. You can't necessarily tease them apart. But when we're not aware, 
that habits of mind with these two things can get us into big trouble when we're not watching. When we watch it, we can just see the lawfulness of how it works. So this is one way it's described by the Buddha. What one feels, one perceives. What one perceives, one thinks about. This is assuming deluded mind. What one thinks about, one complicates with associations, with memories, with ideas, with comparisons, and these notions then assail and overwhelm a person. Like the thing of the guy, the the monk who painted a tiger on the wall of the cave and then turned around and it scared him. This is concocting, this is the concoction of sense of self, of everything that gets us confused. So I'm going to describe a lot more about that. So to start by just talking about perception. So it's happening in every moment, and a lot of the time we don't necessarily notice it. It's a useful thing, because it, 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 one perception can kind of uh, describe, in a way it puts us in the place of the whole world of what we're doing, right? Like you hear the bell a little while ago. And you know it's the bell, you know it means at the time of day and the time for the talk, and you know to come in here, and when you come in here, there's the perception of Zabutan, and which one is yours, and whose is the other's. And it's all very helpful, because we're having um, more or less joint perceptions, which is not always the case in this world. (laughs) Because perception is, as the Buddha talked about, it's, it's um, informed by our life experience. It's really based on our experience and our memory. So, you know, if I know it's a bird call, it's because I've heard birds before, or someone's told me it's a bird, and I know, I know it, you know. So, this is why, you know, and depending how we've grown up, in different cultures, in different families, in different ways of looking at the world, the same experience can be perceived very different from different people. And perception is something that seems so, I mean, it's easy to just take it for granted that my perception is accurate, don't we? I mean, we do. Um, Even very simple things. Uh, Interesting little example, I was at a friend's house, and I said something about, about the blue shawl that was over the sofa. She said, what blue shawl? That, that blue shawl. She said, that's not blue, that's green. And then we got into discussion. I really tried. I could not see green. And she could not see blue. You know, and it's like, and you wonder, is there some, like, objective reality out there, you know? It's, it's, it's azure, it's, you know, like, and there's not. It's all perception. And so that's something simple. We weren't going to come to blows about is it blue or is it green? But take that to any other level. Look at, I mean, we won't go into politics, but just, just looking at different cultural experiences. What's the whole thing with culture shock? Just like whenever I uh, practice in Asia, where I've been in Asia, the relationship to personal space is very different from the relationship to personal space I grew up in. Like one time, you know, I want space. <laughs> I want my room alone, you know. And, and my, my Burmese friends are like, 
they don't want to sleep in a room alone. The more people, the better, you know? It's like scary to be in a room alone. And then they have to have the light on at night. And we Westerners are going, turn off the light. We can't sleep with the light on at night. Now, no, we can't sleep with the light off at night. <laughs> it's, you know, little things like that, but the perception is just, this is how it is. It's safe with the light on. No, can't sleep with the light on. I was once, when I was a nun, I, they, I was staying at Son Mok and they were very kind to me. They kept moving me around, but they put me one time, I was in this huge second story room. It was like a barn or something. I just had my little mosquito net in the corner. Then one day they came and I was the only one in it. They came and told me I had to leave because some people were coming. Some people, a whole busload of women moved into this room. I mean, like 50 women moved into this room that I'd had all by myself. They're perfectly happy to be all together. So perceptions are very different. You see how we can really not recognize that our perception is conditioned and come to blows about it. So that's just one thing. But then after that, it's like our perception, as they're all different, but often it's really not accurate. And this is where we start to get into even more trouble. This is sort of though the, where we're moving into the area of insight. And I was talking about with my nephew, and suddenly the perception gets accurate, and then your experience matches his reality, and there's no more dissonance. But just there's a million examples, but just another simple one. Again, I was in I was in Burma and uh, in a meditation center, and I was walking up this little pathway, and at the end of it was a is like a uh, a Bodhi tree that's planted with like a round uh, concrete form around it, you know, and it's like a circular little path. So I was walking up the path. And I saw up by the tree, not that far, maybe halfway to the, halfway to the, through halfway to the hall. And I saw a nun walking around it with her hands in Anjali like this, walking, circumambulating the Bodhi tree. And I thought, oh, isn't that sweet? There's so much faith here, you know. It's really inspiring. And I was having all these pleasant feelings and thought and the perception of faith. And, and I got up closer and she was texting on her cell phone. <laughs> Like, oh, that first my bubble. <laughs> and so the perception, that was delusion, moha. I didn't have all the information. And a lot of time we don't have all the information. You know, someone has to say, how do we know when we have all the information? And a lot of times we don't. Let's always take it with the greatest salt. So I got up and then I saw, oh, okay, texting on her cell phone. It didn't have to be a problem, but you just see how the, the delusion and how um, with um, perception... The mind, I've noticed it a lot of times, it doesn't have all the data, but it fills in something that's close. It uses some memory, oh, that's what it is, you know. Like once I was walking in the woods in Switzerland, I said, oh, what's that yellow and white striped circus tent doing here? I was walking with a friend, <laughs> what, are you out of your mind? <laughs> circus tent? And it was just a big rock with yellow lichen, you know, on it, <laughs> in kind of stripes. I want to say I didn't have my glasses on, let's hope so, but you never know. <laughs> the mind will just make stuff up. But just to, you know, be willing to see, we may not have all the information. So that's not really suffering, that's just seeing how it works. Steady awareness we start to see instead of just saying, okay, that's what it is, she's doing that. You keep on going, you keep on looking, and oh yeah, there's more information, it's different. Steady awareness reveals more accurately. That's what we can trust. Now, other ways that um, perception is distorted 
is when there's kalesa in the consciousness and we're not aware of it. Why? That's the word, the, the Pali word for the word Utejaniya translates as defilements in his book. I like prefer kalesha or torments, which is the quality of, of, of greed, of tanha, of grasping, aversion, rejection, fear, and moha, delusion. But when a greed or wanting, desiring, or aversion, rejecting, resisting is you know, affecting the perception when it's in the mind, in the consciousness at the same moment as that perception and not recognized, then it really can distort the perception. And we don't know. Like, if you're really hungry, what happens if you go to the supermarket when you're really hungry? Have you ever noticed? <laughs> not the time to do it. I get home, like, with all this stuff, you know, that I'm never going to eat, that I don't even like, wow, that looks good, you know, and you just buy it. When the craving's gone from the perception, you look at the thing and go, what? Or when you have, a, like, a crush on somebody. Don't you look at them? You think about everything about them. It's so wonderful. It's so lovely. You love all their little peccadilloes. You love, you know, and then when the, as one of my friends says, when the desire eyes have fallen off, you go, I love that little peccadillo. That's driving me crazy, you know. <laughs> or later when you're angry at somebody, they look ugly when you look at them. They're not more ugly than they were the day before. It's like the, you know, the distortion of our perception of the anger mind or the desire mind. Now, that's just, as Tejaniya was said, that's just desire and aversion doing its job. That's how they act. You know, when they're present in the mind, that's what they do. Steady awareness helps us start to recognize that's what's happening. That's why we're always on about notice. Notice when there's a sense of dissonance, a sense of dis-ease in your awareness. You know you're aware, but there's a sense of dis-ease in relationship to what's happening. Check it out. Just check out and see. What's the tone? What's the attitude? What's the flavor in the mind that's aware? And for me, often I'll look and I'll be looking for, I know something's there, so oh, there must be craving. And I'll, no, there's no craving. It's just open and natural. And they just hang there for a minute. And suddenly it's like, oh my God, it's filled with craving. It's so filled with craving, I didn't even notice it. You know, it was just comfortable and easy. So, so this is a, like a, just a little short introduction, but seeing how perception is completely subjective, conditional, and how easy it is for us to not even notice it and just absolutely think this is the truth. And how it gets distorted when we're not recognizing the presence of the, the suffering mental states in our, in our mind. When we do recognize, like I said with my nephew, and, and there's difficult mental, but we suddenly recognize accurately, all that extra stuff drops away because it doesn't make any sense. We just say, it's like this now. Actuality doesn't change the power of correct perception. The actuality doesn't change, but our understanding of what's happening comes into alignment. And then there's not the dissonance, there's not the struggle, there's not the trying to change it, or we're not relating to something that isn't happening, which is what we're doing a lot. This is a whole other talk, I don't have time to go into it, but the, the Buddha talks a lot about inversions of perception or hallucinations of perceptions. And in the, in the really deep Dhamma understanding, the perceptions that are 
inaccurate that are continually reinforced by the habits of our mind are seeing permanence where nothing is permanent. You're just not recognizing the the changing nature of things so often. Intellectually, we know it, but the perception is, no, it's steady, you know, and when it goes, where did that go? Not, in terms of dukkha, not recognizing the um, unsatisfactory nature of experience. It can even be pleasant, but thinking it's going to hang around, not seeing the impermanence, and really make us happy, not recognizing that nothing can really do that. And the third, of course, is the continual, often, not continual, but often perception of a self, a solid self, where there isn't one. And these, because perceptions are rising in every moment of experience, and we're not recognizing, like, the sense of self is like, yeah, sure, that just feels like how it is. So there's so many moments of that when we're not exploring, when we're not bringing in steady awareness, that just keeps getting reinforced. It feels... I was going to say comfortable. It may not feel pleasant. I mean, the sense of self is often, you know, the biggest pain in the neck there is. But it's like, a, you know, an old comfortable bathrobe. You just want to cuddle up in it, even though it's disgusting. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> anyway, so, so inaccurate perception isn't just a superficial thing. That's my point. And it's happening every moment. Okay, now I want to move into Vedana, because we're putting them together is how stuff really gets rolling. So, I'm sure m- most of you, but maybe not all, are, are familiar with the way the Buddha describes Vedana, feeling tone, right? Now, as I said, that sense of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral that arises in every moment of sense experience and not really notice. So we're going through our day, every sight, sound, thought, mood, you know, taste, smell, sensation in the body. How many sense experiences, if you count every thought as one, happen through the day? I don't know, millions, you know how many? Because it's every waking moment, very quickly. Each one of those times is a perception, and there's uh, the Vedna, real quick, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither one. And not noticed, this is really kind of the Buddha's genius, seeing how the tendency of mind, not noticed, is of course we like pleasant. We don't like unpleasant, basically. Neutral, maybe we notice it, maybe we don't. And in our kind of hopped up, culture with so much information coming in, neutral almost veers into unpleasant for some people. We don't know what to do with it. We've got to fix it. And so, again, going through the day, going through our life, our mind is practicing the habit of liking whenever it's pleasant, not liking whenever it's unpleasant. And that, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, of course, who likes unpleasant, you know? And so that just seems normal and natural. It is. It's, a, it's nature. You know, but because that just seems how it is, the sense of pleasantness and unpleasant, it comes to be the way really we describe and define ourselves and the world and what we do and what we don't do and what we want and what's beneficial and what's not. I mean, and it really, it's, at times it's really gross, but at other times it's really subtle. 
And so the habit, and this, I'm putting out information, don't believe me, I just want you to keep looking and see, because it really gets fascinating. See if this is true for you. But, you know, we've really cultivated that habit. So the sense of unpleasant experience that happens, it, it often, we can, unpleasant mood comes up, we can turn it against ourselves, there's something wrong with me, an unpleasant mood came up. The sense that pleasant is better, and that, just let's come back to practice, really, really bottom line, look in the back of your mind, and I keep finding this, it keeps slipping in there, think I'm practicing to see the truth, but it veers into what's more pleasant. If it's going right, shouldn't it be more pleasant? Isn't that a sign that things are going the way they're supposed to? And when a sudden unpleasant thing comes up, it's a problem. And this again is because the moving into the pleasant, then we end up just with the habit of desire, getting more pleasant, getting more pleasant, getting more pleasant. And with unpleasant, it's like, push it away. Don't be with it. I don't want to be with it. I don't know how to be with it. And I shouldn't have to be with it because it should not be happening. It should only be pleasant. Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was a, quite a great Thai uh, forest meditation master and also um, a scholar and a character. I spent some time there. He was a character. <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying? You said Franz. He was really big really a big guy, and he said, Franz was reminding us how he said, uh, you, can have, you can have one, was it defilement? You can have one defilement, guess what mine is? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> anyway. He said once that 95% of everything we do is for pleasant feeling. So that's what even get more to it, where we're wanting, we think we're wanting the thing, but really what we want is this pleasant feeling. And it's so ephemeral. It's like this. Same with unpleasant feeling. It's so ephemeral. And we're not used to noticing it, and we get lost into the greed, into the aversion, and that just feels like, of course, the normal response. This is what the Buddha was talking about when he said we really want to be happy and we keep doing the thing that keeps us suffering because in following this, this going for the pleasant, going for the pleasant, feeding the craving, feeding the habit of craving, feeding the habit of aversion, that's never going to work. But we don't see it because we didn't work this time or this one went away, so then there's the next one, then there's the next one, then there's the next one endless, right? That's samsara. Just the leaning into the next thing, the leaning out of this thing. This one doesn't work, go for the next one. Ah, oh, I finally was with this unpleasant. Ah, oh, thank God it went away. I finally learned how to do mindfulness right. And then there's the next, and then there's the next, when we're really in it. The Buddha has uh, one sutta where he talks about it, where I, that I love, because he's just really describing how these habits get inculcated in our heart and mind. And it, I find it, the word I use is poignant because it really touches me of our, of our human condition. He's basically saying that, you know, what's the difference between an awakened person and an unawakened person? 
So that gets our attention. What's the difference? And he says, both, awakened and unawakened people, both experience pleasant Vedana, unpleasant Vedana, and neither. Both. He's not saying if you get enlightened, unpleasant Vedana stops. Both experience all three. So what's the difference? And he says when a regular person is touched by a painful, by an unpleasant, and he uses bodily one to start with, he worries, he grieves, he laments, he beats his breast, he weeps and is distraught. Can you relate to that when your knee starts hurting? (laughs) It's as if you were shot with an arrow and you shoot yourself with another arrow. So that, we can notice how we do that. Something unpleasant happens, immediately we go to aversion and we start, you know, railing about it. So we've ramped it up. But this is, this is what really touches me. Having been touched, so he experiences two kinds of unpleasant feeling, bodily and mental at that point. Having been touched by the unpleasant feeling, she resists it and resents it. And so then in one who resists unpleasant feeling, the underlying tendency of resistance, of aversion, of negativity, comes to underlie the mind. It just becomes a habit to resist the unpleasant. And, this is the painful, under the impact of that painful, unpleasant feeling, one then proceeds to enjoy sensual happiness. Why? Because an untaught worldling does not know of any other escape from painful, unpleasant feeling except the enjoyment of sensual happiness. And so then, then that becomes the tendency to crave, to lust for sensual, basically sense pleasure, right? Just for pleasant feeling. And then that becomes, that, that craving comes to underlie the mind, becomes a habit. I just find that so, so sad, really, you know, that in the, in the normal world, and certainly how I grew up, the only, even if it's unconscious, the only way when something painful, unpleasant is happening, the only way out, he's saying, ordinary people know, is to go do something pleasant. You know, open the fridge and eat some ice cream when you're feeling it. It's not like it's a bad thing. It's not like that, that it's wrong to go enjoy something pleasant. Sometimes it can be helpful when we're all lost, but when that's the only out we know. And so then the habit of aversion and resistance to unpleasant, the habit of lusting and going to pleasant, that becomes the habit that underlie the mind. And then he goes into neutral and he says, you just, uh, there's a tendency to ignorance as to neutral feelings. You don't even know them. This becomes the habit of mind. And then he says, you experience these Vedanas, these feelings, feeling tones. I say feeling tones because we use feelings to mean moods and more complex mental experience. One experiences these feeling tones as if fettered by them, as if chained by them, right? Like, oh, this is unpleasant. We don't even notice the unpleasant. We're in all this world of suffering around it. And the difference in the case of an awakened person when they're touched by the painful feeling, they don't worry or grieve or lament or beat their breast or tear their hair. So they experience one kind of unpleasant feeling, not two kinds of unpleasant feeling. And because they understand, they understand according to facts how these feeling tones work, the arising and the ending 
of these feelings. They don't need to run away from it. So they understand, a, a, touched by the painful feeling, he does not resist it. So there's no underlying tendency of resistance. He doesn't need to go searching for sensual pleasure so there's no underlying tendency or habit of greed. Just able to just be fully present with whatever feeling comes, experiences the feeling tone as one who is not fettered by it. It's just what it is. There's no need to run away. There's no need to do anything. It comes, it goes. Really the knowing of the impermanence, but also of the fact that feel pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is rotating through life. And that's not the way to ascertain, not the way to happiness, to get rid of one, and it's not the way to, only way to evaluate what's useful. So you put these two together. Inaccurate perception. The tendency uh, to get lost in wanting or aversion. And it really can take us very far, very quickly. And to start to watch it is really kind of interesting. Oh, first I just want to say about the escape. And this is part of why practice is so hard. Because you don't even if you haven't recognized how the concoction came to be, but you know you're in, say, an unpleasant experience. And there's aversion there. And you can see that there's enough awareness, you know the aversion, but it's, it, we can see aversion, but it's really hard to be with, isn't it? It's like all our training is get the heck out of here. And so it just feels so wrong <laughs> to hang out with aversion. So aversion's really been driving us. Or the reverse, when there's strong desire in the mind and the heart. We really focus on the thing desired. But one interesting thing about retreat is the same strength of desire and aversion can come up about little things. Have you noticed that? And it can make it it easier to be willing to hang out, just hang out with a desire without acting on it because sometimes it's harder to convince yourself absolutely that that thing is the most important thing in your life. You can see that if I get a banana at breakfast or not isn't really, I I can't really totally convince myself (laughs) that it absolutely is essential, you know? So, So just going against our habits, sometimes when it's not so strong, really this is where we let the awareness stay steady. We take our refuge in awareness and hang out with the wanting. If, if you're walking and wanting comes, keep on walking and just let the awareness be with the wanting and see what it does, see how it feels. It's unpleasant. We're trained to do anything not to feel it, but it'll go away. And then there's the peace that was there before the wanting. You didn't have to get the banana for peace. Peace is available, <laughs> you know, when we can move into the awareness, learning that. Same with aversion. And something, I don't know if this is in this book, something Tejaniya says, in terms of really, you know, bringing awareness when there's kalesa in the heart, in the mind, distorting perception. He talks about how, is this in the book where he talks about it, that the degree to which the suffering mental state comes into the mind could be like from one to ten, you know, like how strong it is. And we tend, like say with aversion or fear or even grief, go, that's little. I don't have to pay attention to it yet. I'm just being mindful. There's a little aversion. It's okay, you know. 
We don't want to pay attention. We wait till it gets really up to number eight or number nine, you know, and it's like, wow. And then it's, forget it. It's stronger than the awareness. We're lost. So he always says, take care of your awareness. Notice it as soon as it's there, when it's little, when it's like a one or a two. You know, notice it then. And it's really true. And I find now in my life, I'm often, not always, but kind of happy when I see a little aversion come up. Not a big one, but just some little thing. I'm driving, someone cuts me off, a little aversion. Wow, great to see. Great to see. Because in the seeing, then the, the awareness is really where the trust is. Oh yeah, that's the version. See it come, see it go. I'm not landing in it. It's not making the decisions. But when we're not really recognizing it, it's making the decisions a lot of the time. So, like, so when we decide to do something, that's uh, intention, that's a mental movement that is informed by whatever particular mood, mental state is in the mind. And it's... Um, Condition like everything else. So, when if you make a decision, it seems like you're making. But so you walk into the dining room and you're deciding where to sit at lunch. Just a little thing. Just be aware of what's going on in the mind. Just notice the perceptions and the. So you walk in and you go. People are there already. Ah, oh, I don't want to sit next to that person. Unpleasant. You know. And you, you, these are little. You maybe don't even say. You even feel that unpleasant. Oh, I'm going over there. And they think, oh, that's in the sun. I'm going over there. That'll be nice. You know, I can't do it. They got their first bummer, you know, negativity. Where else can I go? And just watch how much subtle, uh, subtle aversion to unpleasant, how much subtle going towards something we envision is going to be pleasant is driving the bus. It's really fun to watch because we want to know these things. We don't want it that our only escape from unpleasant feeling is to, is to get something pleasant. Because then when the pleasant doesn't come, we're lost. We don't know what to do. We think peace isn't available until we get the pleasant again. And that's way too conditioned. So how the two, how the two can come together to create a big story. This is, I use this story a lot. But just to see how perception... And Vedna, pleasant, unpleasant, aversion, and greed can create a whole storm. This is Papancha creates. We think about it, we complicate it, it creates all kinds of moods and responses and assail us and torment us. So, you know, a lot of you probably heard this. A friend of mine was doing a retreat many years ago in a rented facility in Switzerland. An old, they have these old um, camp houses like two, three-story wooden houses that they use for kids' camps in the summer. But then they're not winterized, they're not insulated, so they can't use them in the winter. So just at the end of summer, they would rent them for retreats. And this was her first retreat, so she didn't have a lot of, you know, experience, no experience, <laughs> Donald Wisdom. And in this house, on the, what we would call the second floor, was the big room that was the meditation hall, And then an equal room below it was the walking room, sort of like here. But no insulation at all, just thin wooden floors. So anywhere you moved in that house, she said, creak, creak, creak. You could hear it all over. So they were in a a scheduled sitting. And this was scheduled sitting, walking all day. And this was Switzerland. You follow schedules in Switzerland. (laughs) Most people, it's just, just that's part of the cultural conditioning. 
you follow the schedules. So they were in the sitting, and she was, uh, you know, doing Anapanasati, following her breath. And remember, she's new to this, so just trying to get really just present with the breath. And then she heard creaking, creaking, somebody walking downstairs. You know, back and forth, creaking, 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 creaking. And it was like completely distracting her from the breath. You can probably relate. And the immediate aversion, this is ruining my meditation. I was finally getting to feel the breath. And this person starts walking. And so there's the unpleasant, the perception of the person walking, the unpleasant feeling of that. And then the thought, they're disturbing my meditation. So there's a perception of view of how the meditation was, how it should be. So it's leading into more views. And then every time a creak comes, the attention just gets glommed into the unpleasant. Have you ever noticed that? There's something that's unpleasant, your attention just gets glommed into it. So every creak, it glommed in, oh, it's ruining my, I can't feel my breath, and you get, and you shouldn't be doing it, and it's the schedule, and got all worked up. And there was nothing to do because she would never get up and go downstairs in the middle of the sitting and yell at the person. So there was nothing to do. So finally, whether it was out of wisdom or just out of dumb luck, um, she just said, okay, it's like, she didn't say it's like this now, but she just dropped back into the present moment experience and started feeling the breath again, just however it was. It's sort of like we tell you when you're all, you can tell the mind's all caught up in something, just shift the attention to something more neutral. So she did that. She went back to the breath and then just started feeling the breath and just being with the physical experience. And then she noticed she was leaning against the wall. And whenever she breathed in, her back went into the wall and that's what was making the noise. It wasn't somebody walking downstairs. Well, you can imagine all that anger about that person. So the perception was wrong delusion fed by aversion, the whole story fed by aversion. She was really suffering a lot. Seeing that, that whole mass of suffering went away. Now, she probably, knowing her, and it was her first retreat, replaced it with self-blame and aversion and all of that because didn't really see the whole process. But that, I love that example because we can see in it exactly how perception and Vedana, unaware, when we're not aware of the process, it can take us anywhere, and we really can suffer. So you, you get a sense. Of, we can play with that here on retreat. That's a simple one I told of that, but this is where we go all the time, anyway. It can be a difficult mood coming up. That's okay. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be grief. There's gonna, it's not that the stuff shouldn't come up. It's the difference between meeting what's happening. Oh, it's like this now with awareness. Oh, I'm angry because of it. I don't know why I'm angry. Angry, anger's arising. And sometimes it'll come, I don't know. You just can be with it, a kind of a purity. Feel how it feels in the body. Notice the thoughts coming and going, but not going into story, not going into changing it, not going into aversion, just perceiving it as it is without needing to have all the information. And it goes. It really goes in the light of awareness. So these are subtle things. You're not always going to see this process. But what happens as we're taking more and more refuge in awareness is we, we start to get more and more interested in the process 
rather than jumping into each particular experience, this is good because it's pleasant, this is bad because it's unpleasant, and getting in, we get entranced by our reactions and all the perceptions. As we get more and more interested in the process, awareness gets stronger and you really start to, just as it gets a bit more continuous, we're really seeing the whole conditionality, cause and effect relationship, and we really start to, to know there's times when you see, I could really... That's unpleasant. I want. I could really pick that up, but I don't need to. I can just be with unpleasant right now. Wisdom comes in and starts to make those decisions, in little ways. So this is. I mean, this is nothing, but it's just just popping in my mind as an example. The dining room thing again. You know, in retreats, I like space. You know, I don't like to be cramped up next to people. But so I'd always, you know, try to look for whatever when I was on retreat here. And then I noticed one retreat. I just, and the same with food. I'd want to go and just be sure I got there before it ran out. It's not going to run out. Don't worry. <laughs> we used to run out when we didn't have enough money. It doesn't run out now. <laughs> um, and then I noticed one retreat. I just wasn't even thinking about it. I'd go in and maybe I'd look and go, that's not such a good stuff. I'd just sit down wherever there was. And I'd just go and whatever was there, I'd just eat it and I'd just go eat it. And thought, it was so peaceful. It was so peaceful, you know? And all this, oh, I've got to get the right thing, is so agitating. It takes so much energy. And so this is what we start to discover with the steadiness of awareness. This is from Mingyur Rinpoche. Discovering our own awareness allows us to access the natural steadiness and clarity of the mind, which exists independent of conditions and circumstances, independent of our emotions, and moods. Awareness does not increase or decrease whether we are happy or sad. So if we cultivate a sustained recognition of awareness, and that's what we're doing, just in a simple way. If we cultivate a sustained recognition of awareness, we comprehend that awareness itself is inherently calm, no matter how turbulent the mind. That's really interesting. Don't think about it too much, but let that idea drop in. This allows us to discover a sense of peace and stability that is not dependent on the presence or absence of pleasant or unpleasant feelings. So this, I can say I know this is really true. There's little moments we can experience it. Don't, not a whole steady state all the time, but play with this. Just that sense of we're all caught up in suffering and that Tai Chi move into awareness that's like this. You're touching, just for that moment, that inherent calmness or that sense of ease, that sense of peace. It's not a huge peace, just ah. Let yourself just kind of notice those moments. Don't make a big, you know, go home and write a whole book about it, that it's gone. But there are often... And this is where neutral, I think, can be kind of interesting. Neutral. I mean, they say neutral, the, the kalesa that comes out of neutral is moha. We just space out. We just don't notice. But many things like calm and peace and stability also have the quality sometimes of neutrality, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And it's really interesting to see that the habit of, of moha under, under um, neutral means that sometimes when you're actually experiencing peace, you know, or freedom from kalesa, 
kind of don't quite notice it. Don't quite notice it. We're, you know, we're looking for the big, the big lights to go off, enlightenment. We don't just notice, ah, there's this ease with this unpleasant experience is like this. And in the awareness, there's an ease and the unpleasant thing's still going on. Awareness doesn't care. Notice these little moments. Then you start looking for it and you notice the craving and okay, you know, just notice that and there it is again. So neutral is, is really an interesting thing. I think I mentioned, maybe it's in a group, a lot of times on long retreats, it teach, teach like three-month retreats or month-long retreat, and people come often, will come in and go, well, nothing's happening. Deep into the retreat. You go, nothing? You're sitting there, absolutely nothing? Well, no, they're seeing, hearing, they describe all this stuff, but nothing, you know, no big nothing, nothing really interesting. I go, could that be calm? I go, oh, calm. <laughs> oh, yeah, calm. <laughs> and then they notice their mind creating all kinds of imaginary difficult scenarios because that's better the mind will create trouble because it amps up the sense of me you know calm there's not so much me hanging around you know it's just calm so start to notice that a generating a contentment with just the simplicity of awareness a contentment with a mind that doesn't have to go get pleasant or run away from unpleasant that can just and just little moments you know the mind not going out to experience and getting over-involved, just letting experience come and go and really being with feeling it, but not with this looking for some big me meaning out of it, looking for fulfillment. The awareness itself, the sense of steady awareness, the sense of, of this natural peace and ease comes to be more and more trustworthy. And we lose it, you know, we know we lose it a lot. But it's not like it has to be created over time. It's just, oh, yeah, right. Awareness of unpleasant is like this. That's what we're practicing here. And it's not uh, uh, Upasaka Ki, who was a Thai laywoman, who was a great teacher. She wrote this book called Pure and Simple, which is a lovely book if you want to look it up. Um, she said, she's very, this is how it is, tough, tough. I mean, you read out these old Thai forest people were practicing They were tough cookies, I tell you. Anyway, she says, what is, is. What is not, is not. There's no need to add anything extra. (laughs) That's like the whole teaching in a nutshell, right? (laughs) Does that sound unbearably bleak? It's not, you know. It's like we think, oh, well, there's nothing. It's calm. What is, 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 just this big, empty, dull space. And it's not at all. You know, when we're not needing something from experience, when we're not having to push it away, we're able to be fully present in this moment. It's, it's, it's what it is. I'm not going to say it's always delicious and beautiful. Sometimes it's unpleasant. But it's like a totality of presence with just this. That's really, to me, it's much more alive than chasing after uh, pleasant whatever it is than having to run away from unpleasant. And sure, the more unpleasant something is, the harder it is to see through our habits. But when there's just a little fraction of a moment of this peacefulness of awareness, even in the midst of some difficult thing, just a little moment shot through and then the difficulty, you're in it again. To me, that's like, I want to say miracle, not like a miracle. It's, it's extremely powerful. And like it really strengthens the faith. It's the sense of, yes, I know this is true. 
The habit right now of getting lost and identified with aversion is in this moment stronger. In this moment. But suddenly there's a moment of, oh yeah, it's like this now. What is, is. No need to fight it. And there's that peace, that contentment, that stability of mind. This is really, this is really possible for all of us. So I just end with this from the Buddha. The sutta in this book, The Island. I don't know if you know this book, The Island, that Ajahn's Amaro and Pasano from Abhayagiri Monastery put together. Um, it's a lot of, they pull out, The Island is a reference to Nibbana. And so they're pulling out, they're, they're great scholars. They're, these are, uh, one's American and one's English, or are they both English? Pasano's from Canada. Oh, he's from Canada. One's Canadian and one's English. And this is in California. But they're both scholars. They've been monks in the Thai forest tradition uh, under Sumedho for many years. And so they've pulled out, it's quite a thick book, all different suttas talking about various aspects of Nibbana and enlightenment and their own understanding. It's, it's a great resource. Anyway, so from this, they pointed to this sutta where a great, they're saying, you know, a great deal of our practice is you know, leading to, to disenchantment, getting out of this in, entrancement with our reactions, with wanting, with aversion, with me, me, me. And so a lot of our practice is just what I was talking about, seeing how the deluded mind works. And the more awareness sees it, we kind of, the magic show falls apart. You know, we don't get so caught up and there's more ease. But also at times, they say, the Buddha talked about, you can just almost as a contemplation incline the mind towards the peacefulness of Nibbana. Not always so caught up. You know, this, he says that, and this is the reflection. He says, a bhikkhu reflects thus. This is peaceful. This is sublime. That is the stilling of all mental activities, the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, disenchantment, release. Now that's not a craving, but just, you know, how often do we incline our mind just to, this is sublime, a sense of peace, a sense of not craving. You know, not a whole lot of action going on, but just to start to, inclined towards appreciating that. It's a beautiful thing. It's something, just to drop that into your mind from time to time. It's not always a struggle. So that's part of what we're doing here with our steady awareness practice. Thanks for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.